Hey, man. hey father. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Oh, you're feeling better? Are, are, are you like- Do on, I feel better? Yeah, no, not like at all. After, after that whole conversation, <laughs> are you feeling better? Did it no. make it worse? Have we, have we increased the plague in you? Neither, neither increased the plague uh, nor feeling better per se, but I do feel, you know, better prepared. In my yeah, all right. Then that's, that's the so. key. Talking to Father Ken Geraci today about spiritual warfare and divine mercy. I'm with you definitely feeling better prepared yeah. uh in that yeah. in that grander scheme of the spiritual life and and i think yeah. that's maybe the most important place to feel well prepared yeah 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 who cares about my cold? Yeah. um <laughs> is that all it is is it just a cold I, I didn't say it in the interview i didn't say it in the interview but i actually purchased a divine mercy nice prior to this interview because of what i read in Sweet. his book um and i, I probably should have yeah. told him that but it's I, all right so it's just a cold you're not it's dealing with like you, you don't, don't have covid you're not I mean, like you know like a contagious no, plague COVID. victim or anything it's like not that. covid it's, it's a virus it's a man some, cold and he's guy. complaining um no <laughs> that's right what i do best oh man well listen this was this was really fun to record um i think father ken yeah. let us uh he he went with us on so many more tangents than some of our other uh, guests this was really fun yeah um yeah and i like how he was also yeah. always able to bring it back full circle really good yeah, stuff yeah yeah it was a tremendously fun interview um with with a lot of laughter and he took it to heart when he said that he could join in the dukes oh, yeah. so long as he was willing good to man them. <laughs> yeah well yeah, yeah i think our listeners are going to really enjoy this conversation and uh let's let's let him get to it welcome to the tangent my name is Matt i love how Barraza. he's been doing this he's been starting lately and it's really it's really been fun i'm father sam kachuba and <laughs> Today, we're joined by Father Ken Geraci. Uh, and Father Ken, you are, let's see here, a member of the Fathers of Mercy. Is that correct? The Fathers of That's Mercy. Me. Awesome. Now, tell us a little bit about the Fathers of Mercy before we dive into anything else. Who are they? Well, we are salesmen for Jesus. We are traveling confessors and preachers. I love that. We, uh, we were founded in the 1800s by a French diocesan priest, and we were founded to do missions and retreats to help heal France in the aftermath of the mm. French Revolution. So that's our charism. We travel uh, seven, or I travel seven months of the year, some guys a little more, some guys a little less, mm -hmm. and, uh, but we travel doing parish missions and retreats. Wow. That's our jam. All right. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the coolest place you've ever gone for? for this, this ministry? You know, it's, it's, I've done this so much. The favorite place I am is the place that I'm at. Um, Fair enough. And I don't mean to be cliche, but I literally being, you know, we're at the tip of the spear. We get to see God work in such amazing and powerful ways. Wow. Um, so you, you just, it, it could happen around the corner. Or it could happen in a far distant land, but from a cool far distant land place, uh, I've been to Tasmania three times. Wow. That's all cool. right. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, oh, it's awesome. I've got to be honest with you. If you asked me to point to Tasmania on a map, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so find Australia and go to the little island south. All right, and, all right. And so not only was I in Tasmania, I was in a Carmel of 12 sisters giving a canonical retreat to these sisters in, Unreal. I mean, just. Wow. Uh, talk now, about the Grand there's Slam. No, there's no direct flights yeah. there, right? I mean. <laughs> There can't be any. No, no, no. <laughs> You're to LA, LA to Sydney, Sydney and to Tasmania. How far is it from Sydney to Tasmania? Wow. Uh, it was a 17 hour flight. All told, the whole. Wait, oh, 
I'm sorry, Sydney Tassie. I'm sorry, no. So it was so here to LA was four hours. LA to Sydney was seventeen. Uh, Sydney to Tassie was wow. like an hour. Hour change did you do it all in the same day did you at least like stop and figure out that you're on the other side of the international date line you got to calm down for a little bit and then (laughs) no it was i actually offered because i was traveling on a sunday i offered mass in lax airport um wow yeah yeah now was was that a private mass or did people get to attend private mass it was uh it's a a long story (laughs) yeah (laughs) we are the tangent it's it's good yeah we are this is this is right this is what we do we take the long stories (laughs) as you're traveling around giving these these missions and and retreats um is is there a a particular theme or are you speaking on on the things that people want you to talk about whenever you whenever you go like if, if you're asked to do a parish mission they say we need you to talk about this thing do you go or do you have a specific way that you're that you're bringing that mission I'm I'm really flexible because I can do anything, right? So if, if if there's a particular topic they want me to present on, majority of topics, unless it's something really complex like the intricacies of exorcism or mm. Saint Teresa of Avila's mansions, you know. But if it's generic things, I can I can get up to speed yeah. really quick and present on it. Okay. That's not even if I don't have a discipline in it. Um, but generically, uh, I have two primary missions that I give. The first is why be Catholic. And the second is uh, spiritual warfare, healing, and deliverance. And so those are the two main areas that I okay. focus in on. Nice. That that first one certainly makes itself present in your book, Spiritual Warfare and Divine Mercy. You know, like I I I was realizing halfway through because like up until page fifty five, you're like, wow, this is definitely a manual. You know, nice. like this is this is how you do Catholicism. Um, which I appreciated that as well. So, you know, anyway. I appreciate hearing that because it's, you know, I was agnostic most of my life. And I think, I think we touched on this previously, but, um, you know, I sacramentalized, I fell away from faith and then had to study my way from agnostic to spiritual, spiritual to Christian, mm. Christian to Catholic. And in that journey, um, is is so vitally important because there's a huge thing that we have missed in Catholicism, um, and I think Christianity. I think Christianity doesn't even try. Um, they all they do is tell you to read the Bible and do what it says, but no one talks about how. We talk about oftentimes the what and the why, but no one gives you the hows. And I think one of the greatest compliments I've received between my two books is is that I give a very practical how as well as what mm. and whys. Mm. Yeah. So th- this question though okay why why be catholic and then uh spiritual warfare so the we should mention i think matt that the that the book spiritual warfare and divine mercy is the reason that you that we're we're talking to you right now so sure. I, I got a copy of the sure. book uh, matt's 100 pages in and uh, i have a copy of the book uh, <laughs> 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 trash myself a little bit here i didn't i didn't do a great job preparing for this. <laughs> yeah, you know like do you pray the rosary i carry a rosary with me every day <laughs> i pray the rosary too. that's good that's good uh, i was the guy who, who carried the rosary though for a long time like I got in the habit of carrying yeah, the rosary. Yeah, I, I didn't pray it. I just carried it. I always had a rosary. I wasn't praying it. And then I realized, hey, this is stupid. I should be praying this thing. <laughs> it's not yeah. It's not just a nice yeah. decoration in my pocket. Like I should really be doing this. Anyway. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. Um, well, let, let's talk about spiritual warfare and, and divine mercy. Let's talk about the book itself. Um, and and we'll see sure. we'll see where this goes, where this takes us. Um, what's the genesis yeah. of the book? Like why, why did you decide this this book needs to be written right now? 
so so this is all based on my preaching. So I don't consider myself an author. I consider myself mm. an evangelist that took what I preach and put it in the text. So it's kind of a reverse engineering process. But the main thing when I pick a mission theme, I'm just trying to find what are the needs of the people and what does someone yeah. want to listen to? You know, if I'm going to ask you for four nights of your life, one hour a night for four or five nights, I need to deliver on what's important to you. And what I've found is that the the question of why be Catholic, what is the mass, biblical apologetics, uh, some basic demonology, these are things that people are, are clamoring for because it is right in your face. Mm. And Everywhere I go, I say this right up front in the book, everywhere I go without exception, people are asking me to pray for a family member or friend who has fallen mm -hmm. away from the Catholic faith, who doesn't practice anymore, who's gotten caught up in something. And they're asking for prayers and what can they do? And so as a result of that, the clearest ways of praying are utilizing the tools and the weapons and the things that are available to us to be successful. And it's not hard to be successful in faith, in faith, uh, we just have to apply the instruments that work. Hmm. So then, uh, all right, four or five nights for for a mission. Um, I'm mean, sorry, I got I got to ask this question because I I'm fascinated by by mission speakers and and how they do things yeah. because you go for the four or five nights, and then often during the day, are there other activities that you've got for, for as part of the mission, or is it often like? I just got to gear up for every evening and, and do something. And I'm like, what are you doing with the rest of your day? <laughs> like, what's that like? Um, well, it really depends. Like there are certain places that I'll do two a day missions. So I'll do, um, they'll have mass in the morning and then I'll do a mission, a morning session after that morning mass that will go from like, you know, nine to 10 o'clock and then we'll go for school visits and then have a lunch cool. with somebody and then prayer time in the yeah. afternoon and then confessions, missions, confessions. Okay. So those are yeah. the busy ones. There are other places we go that father's like, Hey, listen, father, we got mass at, you know, 8 AM and you're free until, you know, confessions at five. Wow. You know? So, so, you know, but, it, but a lot of it is prayer. You know, one of the things that when I joined the father's of mercy, I ask, you know, I, you know, in my mind, my business background, right. And I say, how do you prepare your guys to become great preachers? And because in business, it's all about the training, the pedigree. What, what have you done to get yourself to where you are? And Father Bill Casey told me, he goes, he goes we, don't, we don't train our guys at all. Hmm. And I'm like, you, you don't train your men to be preachers? And he's like, no. And he goes, you're confused. He goes, you're thinking our success comes from our oratory ability. He goes, our success comes from our prayer life. 80% of our success comes from prayer. 20% comes from showing up. So we're not going to teach you how to preach. We're going to create an environment of prayer that you can be immersed in yeah. and learn those disciplines and elements of prayer so that you can do the 80% of work here at the house. But that 20% of showing up, you have to own. You have to figure out you, your presentation style, what works, right. and and work it out yourself. And so there is this whole flexibility within the Father's of Mercy that no two of us yeah. are the same. We don't have this candy cutter version. It's just every guy gets out there, but we pray yeah. devoutly. So so what does that prayer life look like? So, you know, standard prayer life of a religious. So we we have our, well, not standard, I guess, anymore. Uh, for us at the house, we have a morning holy hour, 6.30 to 7.30. That includes um, Angelus Rosary, 30 minutes of meditation, followed by the divine office. That holy hour ends. We have our community mass, 8 to uh, 7.30 to 8, 
breakfast in common in silence, 8 to 8.30. And then we have a break. Everyone goes whatever work they have to do throughout the day. Then we have our second holy hour from 4.30 to 5.30 every day. That starts with 30 minutes of silence in exposition of our Lord. Um, then Divine Mercy Angelus, Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, a couple community prayers, and then the Divine Office, followed by dinner in, in community. So that's the bookends of our prayer life. And for each Father of Mercy, we're called to interiorize the minimums there. We also pray the additional hours of right. the office, right? We just don't, we pray five hours of the office. But we're, we're called to interiorize that and have that schedule because when we leave the house, the only thing consistent is inconsistency. <laughs> and so, oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Father, you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So if you can't live the liturgy of the hours, if you can't live your devotional life, if you can't live the mass from the interior place, you're not going to make it out on the road. And so for us, it's this whole interior life of cultivating the beauty and the cadence of life that we have at home. So when I'm on the road, it's not. it doesn't matter where I'm at. I can still maintain that interior place, regardless of what the externals hmm. look like. That's such an important piece to, I mean, to, to preaching. I, I can tell you like the, the difference of, uh, of a homily that I give that's been really prayed with and, and prepared in, in that context of prayer. And then when it hasn't been, um, and, and what a, what a mess yeah. it can be if it's, if it's not been well, well prepared in the context of prayer, like I could do all the studying, I can have all the facts and stuff like that, that I want, but yeah, it's gotta be, it's really gotta be, gotta be prayed over. Um, now, yeah. Father Sam, what is what is a well prayed through homily look like? Yeah, right. Like again, the 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 lay person on the call who's never prayed through a homily, at least not sure. to present one. Um, yeah, I, well, I think it's it's a lot of it's lexio divina, especially is really important, and just it, mm -hmm. it's more honestly the the homilies are more about reading the scripture and like letting Jesus speak through that. That's what I find at least. Um, and then when I've when I've taken that time to really just sit with sit with the word other stuff comes and it, it just, it just sort of happens. Yeah. Um, but then to that point, father, that you're making about the, the liturgy of the hours, the divine office, the rosary, uh, the holy hour, the time of silence, like having that discipline in prayer makes such a difference too, because when things are inconsistent, uh, when everything else yes. gets inconsistent, when the schedule gets thrown off to have that as kind of your baseline, your foundation in prayer is so important. Like I'm so grateful for the liturgy of the hours. Um, there, there are days where, you know, as a, as a diocesan priest and things get real busy and crazy in the parish, you, you realize like at the end of the day, Hey, I didn't, I didn't do any of the hours yet. I got to sit down and, and I, I owe Jesus some time. I've got to give him back these hours. Uh, and I mean, when we say hours, we mean by the hours of the, of the office, not literal 60 minute increments. Right. Um, but I, I, there are those times where I realize I, I owe him something. I got to sit down and, and make this time. Um, and then there's, there's other days where I'm like, I'm so grateful that I have this excuse. I, I've got 10 minutes right now. I can stop and I can go, I can go pray. I can get daytime prayer in or something like that. What a difference it makes when it's, when it is a consistent piece. And then through those times of inconsistency, it's that foundation of at the very least, while everything else is chaotic, I've got the mass, I've got the office, I've got the rosary. I've got these things that just kind of become really foundational. And that just, that helps so, so tremendously. So yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Okay. So when you're finding this desire for an, an understanding of the of the spiritual world, um, yes, where do you see then 
spiritual warfare, divine mercy, these themes that you write about in your book really coming into, into play? I think the when we look at the battles that we're fighting, we clearly were fighting from the point of victory, but because Christ won everything, right? And so when we unite ourselves to Christ, that's where we become victorious. And so I'm not coming from the sense that we need to go duke it out with the devil, you know, fisticuffs here, because uh, that's a sure way of getting possessed and, and losing. Uh, so, you know, how do you dispel the darkness? You make the light burn bright. So with that said, uh, I think what the real genesis behind this it's all written around that second chapter that second part of the book which is talking about the divine mercy feast chaplet and image and specifically the chaplet because most people do not understand the power of the chaplet in which with you pray it and so like i was at a conference uh we had 2,000 people at this hmm. conference, and I just asked for a show of hands, how many of you have heard the chaplet described as an extension of the liturgy of the Eucharist? And these are pretty, you know, serious Catholics. It's called the Fullness of Truth Conference, so pretty, pretty high-speed group of people. And maybe a hundred of the 2,000 people heard of the chaplet as the extension of the liturgy of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And so my, my conviction, my hope is, and what I hope everyone who's listening to this, you clip this part, share it with everyone. This is the most important element because if we can increase our faith in the words which, which we are saying, we become exponentially more powerful and more potent in what we're doing in the battle hmm. we're fighting. I, I don't think I've ever heard of the Divine Mercy Chaplet as an extension of the Liturgy of the Eucharist. I like this idea. Yeah, let's, 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 let's get into that because yeah. that sounds fantastic and it makes sense. I have. Okay. All right. Fine, Matt. We get it. You read the book. <laughs> no, I heard of it before. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so let's break it down. So, so when we teach children to do something, and this is what I do when I, this I learned all of this from from having to teach myself one how to attend mass myself as a, as a revert to faith, but then as a priest, I'm preparing to offer mass, and I'm like. I'm like, I'm studying the missile as a deacon and I'm like, who am I talking to? Yeah. Like, am I, like, what am I, who am I saying? And mm -hmm. I realized that 80% of the text of the mass is directed to God, the father. No one ever explained that to me. But now whenever I say the prayers of the mass, I literally, I, I am trying to see the face of the father and I'm speaking to him as, as directly as I possibly can. And, and it changes the whole dynamic for me. And so if we can do that with the mass, how much more with the chaplet, right? So let's let's look at who is speaking, who are we speaking to, and what are we doing? So when we pray the chaplet, the first four words give us that information. Eternal Father, I offer. So if we just stop there, Father, put yeah. yourself in the presence of mm -hmm. God the Father. Now see yourself face to face. This requires a level of vulnerability. Now you're offering him something. What are we offering? The body, blood, soul, and divinity mm -hmm. of Jesus, right? For what reason? The atonement for our sins and those of the whole world, right? So the body, blood, soul, and divinity is the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the Mass. Mass is Calvary, yeah. right? And so when we pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, we're entering in in a mystical way, in like the sense of an icon, into the sacrifice of Calvary mm. and we're united with Christ in his perfect mm. offering to his father. 
I love yeah. it. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> like, I want like add yeah. me rule. <laughs> so we use this this word icon, like as an icon. Um, let's let's get into that because icons are so important just in in the in the history of devotion, especially in the in the Eastern rites of the church, icons are, are really important. But we when we talk about icons, we don't talk about something that's it's not a painting, it's not just an image, it's it's a prayer that has been written. Uh, to be in, to be an image. So let can can we get dive in a little bit to that, and then I want to go back to this connection yeah. that you're making with the Divine Mercy Chaplet and and the Liturgy of the Eucharist because there's some great stuff there. Let's talk about the icon though. So so when I can so like there's one right over my shoulder, our, our Lady yeah. holding the child, right? And and in a traditional sense, this is written in layers. Yes. And so so it's done on okay. wood, and it's, it and it's and it's layered, and layered. <laughs> we all have icons. <laughs> It's just like the coolest part of being Catholic, you know. <laughs> like everyone, yeah, go get an icon. Um, yeah, but but an icon, a blessed icon, in in there's there's a special way of blessing it. But when when you bless an icon, it, it acts as a window. So this over my shoulder is it's as if Mother Mary is looking through the window hmm. and eavesdropping in on our conversation. And the graces that that represents pours forth the graces that it symbolizes. And so when we look at this as being, that's not just a picture of Mother Mary, but it's actually Mother Mary visiting us and allowing those graces to flow through that image upon us and allowing that intercession, those realities to take place. So this is why I posit when we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, in a mystical sense, we are united to this. Because theologically, the Divine Mercy Chaplet should be suppressed if what I just said is not true. Because how is it for a labor? I mean, Father, we got one job, right? <laughs> our job is to offer the body, blood, soul, and divinity of right. Jesus in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world, right? That's the mass. And so how is it possible for Matt to do this? I mean, shouldn't we take him and tie him to a stake and flog him? <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, I, I thought that might be a good idea for well, other Matt reasons at, at times, like just Matt needs to be like disciplined here or something. I don't know. but Yeah. yeah. yeah I think we should try it. I think it's worth trying. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not it, it's not the lay faithfuls they don't they don't have that capacity mm. to do this right so of course now now where does this make sense for lay? how is it possible for a lay person to offer God the Father the body blood soul and divinity of course we would all say it together Sacra Santo Concilium paragraph forty two to forty six exactly what I was thinking yeah it's I a, didn't it's know like the you're reading my mind I did know <laughs> Man, all the listeners were like, they got little signs like sacrosanct. Yeah. Matt, put that in the um, show notes, okay? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I will. <laughs> well, Sacrosanctum Concilium 42 through 46 talks about this most abused term in Vatican II active mm -hmm. participation, right? And active participation, according to Mediator Dei, that Sacrosanctum Concilium is quoting, says that active participation is the lay faithful uniting themselves through the hands of the priest. In the offering of the sacred mysteries to God the Father. And so when you go to Mass, Matt, mm -hmm. you are uniting yourselves. And every single person in that church has united themselves in person, in voice, in spirit, through the hands of the priest who now makes Calvary present. And we are united together there. And in that great doxology, when the priest offers the body, blood, soul, and divinity by saying, through him, with him, and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, 
all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. And the people pray, amen. amen. Yeah. Right? So I do all of the speaking on our behalf, or it's actually Christ, me and Persona Christi. And the people give the punctuation of their great mm. amen. But when imagine that those sacred species in, in the priest's hands, that's the divine mercy chaplet. Every time you pray the chaplet, five times, it's as if you're praying that great doxology. You're united with that. You are you are making that offering of Christ. You're you're teasing it out. You're making it subsist even mm. more present for mm. yourself, for the intention that you're praying, and for the environment that you are in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But see, this is this is the great thing. As the priest is doing that, right? So you're right. The priest is saying these words, standing in persona Christi. One of the powerful moments in that is that as the priest says the words of consecration, he speaks with the voice of Christ, but then he immediately also has to genuflect. So he joins once again the, the, the people. So that, that idea of making that offering in union with the hands of the priest, I think the priest for his part makes his union makes makes his offering in union with the whole congregation in that act of genuflection just that simple reverence is to say lord like i know that you are here um and what i have just done in your name in your voice like but you acting through me i'm unworthy of so i have to fall to my knees in in that place you know so that 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 priest's genuflection i think is is such a, a key thing um but yeah, the, the Father Sam, I, I wonder, uh, you've mentioned on the show yeah. before that uh, there is a woman at your parish that kisses your hands on the way out yeah. the door. Uh, well, but I, but like, you know, you see the full, the fulfillment of all of what we're talking about here in that, you know, it's not yeah. an American thing. You know, I have never kissed your hands. We well, should on start. The way it's out about time. Door. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're actually yeah. gathered together today. <laughs> this is an intervention. This entire thing um, is about how people should be kissing the hands of priests. No. <laughs> yeah. Right, but but like that 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 is seen in an entire new light, right? Because of sacrosanctum concilium. Well, so here's um, the, the so it would yeah. seem like it would being American, being from the northeast. Uh, everything about that kind of like, I, I rebel against it, like on an instinctual level. Like, no, I, I, you know, I don't need people. First of all, don't touch my hands. What, what are you touching me for? Uh, <laughs> second, why, why, why do you want to kiss my hands? That's, that's that's so weird. I don't I don't want that. But then you, when you realize that this has absolutely nothing to do with me on a personal, this it's not about me. Uh, that that yeah. instinct to kiss a priest's hands and like you get this when a priest is first ordained, um, and and you you kneel for his first blessing. You always kiss the hands of the priest who's given you his first blessing, um, and it's just it's a reverence to to who he is and who he has become by virtue of the the sacrament of holy orders, and uh, it's it's powerful. Uh, I know for me, giving first blessings. I don't know, Father, do you experience this? Like when you're giving first blessings, especially to priests who influenced you and who stood in that place as spiritual fathers, and then they kiss your hands, and you realize this really has nothing to do with me, but they're reverencing this this yeah. gift of the priesthood that and, and what Christ can do through these hands now. And all of a sudden, like the full weight of your priesthood starts to hit you. And now I've been ordained long enough that like I've had the chance to kneel before new priests who I influenced in some way. 
and to and to be with them as they as they start their priesthood and i've seen the look on their face when i take their hands and i and i kiss their hands because like this man is a priest and just that that shift i mean it's such a powerful such a beautiful moment um but yeah like matt at the end of the day it's not it, it's not really me and it's not about my hands specifically it's it's i have i have priest hands uh <laughs> that's that's it you know like it's it's not it's never about me and and it can't be and that's that's always an important thing i think to come back to when you're a priest <laughs> just that reminder it's not about me and it can't be about me um which and if it is about yeah, you then it's wrong answer. yeah <laughs> go go ahead father ken so, so i had this girl that's not about me this this situation changed it was it wasn't life changing but it was hugely impactful she so this girl was healing from a, a situation a very traumatic situation and uh, we were doing really well and then all of a sudden she kind of hit like like just wasn't making any progress. And I asked her, I said, have you given God permission to heal you? And she said, no. And I said, all right, so I want you to go to the chapel, ask God, just say, Lord, I give you permission to heal me. And she, she calls me back a couple of days later. I'm like, how did it go? And she was like, well, I didn't do it. I'm like, no, dang it. you had one job, you know? And I'm like, well, what happened? And she goes, well, I got in there and I knelt before Jesus. And I said, Lord, why would you heal me? from something that I did to myself. Hmm. And our Lord said to her, it's not about you. She said, well, who's it about? And our Lord said to her, it's about us. Hmm. And so when we look at our sinfulness, it becomes singular, it becomes yeah. misery. But when we look at Christ, when we invite Christ into it, then it's a journey together. It becomes part of his story. Wow. Yeah, that's no, that's but that's it. That, and that's what accompaniment really is. Like at, at the end of the yeah. day, it's yes. it's recognizing it's not about me walking with you, but it's about me helping you recognize that Jesus is walking with you. And it's like to understand yes. that more profoundly. So what was her what was her final like response then? Uh, realizing that it's, it's about this walk with Jesus. Like, how did she how did she receive that in the end? She was able yeah. to surrender. And, and that's what it was. It wasn't about the permission. It was about the surrender because it was, it was Jesus coming in to come close to, to help heal her. But then she would say, why, why would you take what I did mm. to myself? And finally it was this ability just to let him in and allow him to speak truth over the wounds that of the sins mm. that she had committed. Yeah. So surrender is the key word being present to those situations and not making it more or less than anything it is and just giving it to him. Just saying, Lord, I invite you into this. What do you yeah. want to do with it? And sometimes we have, there's actions that we need to do. Maybe apologize to someone, maybe go to confession, maybe, you know, switch to a flip phone, <laughs> right? I mean, there may be things necessary to help prevent us from certain things, but God wants God wants to be part of it. But if we surrender and say, Lord, what do you want in this situation? First, he's never going to condemn. He always affirms and, and affirms your dignity and then opens the door for a path forward. If we ever hear accusations, it's the devil is the accuser. Yeah. Well, so right there, we're, we're starting to step into that spiritual warfare. And this idea of, of, it's not just about the temptations. Temptations are kind of the 
that's that's the baseline of like all the battles everything is always there's 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 going to be the temptations kind of coming constantly um that's the what is it, the 39th parallel <laughs> right that's 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 yeah, just right, us right yeah, at the, right yeah. at the border looking yeah, yeah. across at the at the you know you're almost putting yourself yeah. as a boomer there father that's right <laughs> Did you notice that I had no idea what yeah, you were talking about? Yeah, I figured you might not. That's okay. <laughs> World War yeah. II, come on. Go watch, go, go watch uh, some, some yeah. World War II movies. Get back with us. <laughs> but just this idea that there's there's a dividing line between like where I stand and where, where the evil one stands. And so the temptations is just sort of that constant tension that's always there. But then, I mean, you're touching on this idea. So here's this young woman who's saying, why would you want to heal me for something that I did? And isn't that like where it gets really insidious with the temptations of thinking God doesn't want anything to do with me. And then that distance starts mm. to feel like it's growing. Mm. And so the battle is, is overcoming that, that feeling of distance. So when you're looking at spiritual warfare then and helping people to recognize, no, this is about you and Jesus walking together. Um, let's talk a little bit about how does divine mercy influence that entire path? Man, Father, you you just hit like huge chords there. That whole thing about like that lie that God doesn't want anything to do with me because I've sinned, because I've fallen. And um, I remember I was with a group of theologians and, and one of them was part of the early group who studied mm. the image. And he was talking about how when the image was the, first being studied the, the image by a couple of, of the divine mercy that St. Faustina received. Image of divine mercy. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is Jesus walking out of pure blackness and then with the rays yeah. coming out of him. Right. And, and one of the theologians says, he goes, it doesn't make any sense. Why is there no background? Why is there no ground? Why is there nothing? And he's explaining this to me. And he said, yeah, they were all puzzled. And I'm like, I'm like, for me, it was totally clear. I'm like, I know why he's coming out of blackness. And he goes, well, <laughs> he asked me, I said, I said, that's where we live. Yeah. Like us sinners, us people who face suicide and depression and hopelessness, like that, I know that geographic location mm. in the dark where Christ met me, where he reached down and touched me. And it, and it was, and, and like, I think the world that we live in today where people are so encapsulated in darkness and sin and ignorance you know, sin has that threefold consequence. It, it affects the intellect. So sin darkens the intellect. It weakens the will. And then it inflames the passions, makes our emotions unruly. Um, and that makes things just tumble out of control. It snowballs downhill. And so when, when we want to introduce, you know, how do we fight our way out of this? Well, first, I think the divine mercy image really paints the picture, no pun intended, <laughs> That Christ wants to come to us in our yeah. darkness. And, and anyone listening to this, you know, the three of us here, we all have developed spiritual lives. We all, we're striving. We know it. But there's still the darkness of my own soul. There's my own doubts. There's my own fear. There's my own sinfulness. And, and it doesn't matter how far I get in, in my priesthood or anything. I still need God's mercy. I still need him to come to me in my questions and my fears, in my stubbornness, in my pride. Wherever I may be, whatever those dark parts of my heart and soul are, I have to recognize that they're there and I may not know where they're at, mm -hmm. but he does. And to invite him into it. And, and for me, it's just, it has given me this peace that I've never known before. 
because when I just have this horrible day, um, you know, normally it revolves around Amazon <laughs> messing something up. They can be terrible. They can be horrible people. Over there. I'm just like, I'm like, like they lie and they like, and they're just, anyhow, it's just a bureaucratic system. It's not the individuals. It's a corporation. And, and I get frustrated and the old man comes out and I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't even recognize myself in some of these things. And I'm like, I'm like, Lord, you've even redeemed that part of me. I am revealing the ugly underbelly of my pride and self-love and entitlement. And Lord, I invite you into that, you know, and it just, it, oh, it's so, I, I, I have hope. I have a path yeah. forward. Yeah. So you talk about like the Lord redeeming that and calling you out of that. Um, looking at your own, your own journey from, uh, sacramentalized you know brought up at least nominally in the faith and then and then agnostic and really fallen away from any kind of practice of the faith um where do you see how god has has given you that mercy where, where he stepped into that darkness in your own life can you tell us a little bit about that conversion and and or reversion is the better the better way to discuss it yeah, yeah. um let me just start with a punchline that the person who's ever prayed for the conversion of a poor sinner or a, or a, a vocation to the priesthood, like my life is the answer to those mm. prayers. I was perfectly happy being a pagan. I was perfectly happy not doing anything. I never wanted to be Catholic and I never wanted to be a priest. I was on a date when I realized I was supposed to be a priest. <laughs> um, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Worst, worst date ever. <laughs> Did you at least pay for the bill? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a problem. It was a free night. It was just, it wasn't free. It cost me everything. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't um, free. It cost me everything. It wasn't so free. So good. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that story in a minute. But my reversion back to faith, you know, I went into, I, I, I was agnostic, went off to college, got a business degree, got recruited out of school to go to work for a technology company doing advanced R&D. And from that, uh, that group, my boss had an idea for a software company. And he said, I can't pay you, but I'll give you ownership in exchange. And so we began working on that project nights and weekends. And we worked for seven, eight hmm. months on this project. I mean, heavily, four or five night, days a week. And so we kept our paying job, worked nights and weekends. And I, we're always at his house working out of his living room. And I got to know he and his family exceptionally well. And at a certain point in this, uh, a venture capital firm invests four and a half million dollars into our company. Wow. And so I'm thinking that I've arrived. I mean, my ego is huge. And he comes up to me one day and brings me right back down the planet Earth. And I'm going to summarize three or four conversations in the just a few sentences. But he effectively, he says, Ken, professionally, I have no problem with you, but personally, I do. When we're with clients or investors and you see a Christian symbol, you make a Christian reference. But you've told me you don't believe in God. You don't pray. You don't go to church. And Ken, some of the stories you tell are unbecoming a man, let alone a Christian. Hmm. And I'm just curious, which is it? And so my first conversion was to authenticity and integrity, to let my yes be yes and no be no. Hmm. And from there, he is a devout Catholic. He invited me to come to Mass with he and his family. And I saw quite possibly the most intelligent man that I knew at the time kneeling before Jesus in the Eucharist. And it didn't convert me, but it gave me a pause to say, if he takes this seriously, maybe I should look at it. And then God flooded my life with amazing Christian men and women 
and it just was gangbusters yeah. from there. Yeah. I definitely relate to the uh the witness, you know? Like I remember uh in college I was I was a revert to the faith in college. Um and when I when I was first introduced to people like Peter Kreeft, obviously digitally, right? I was like, "Wow, that man's brilliant. Wow, that man's a Catholic." You know, and it's yeah. just like the simple witness of someone who is unbelievably intelligent, you know, that adheres to the faith. And all of a sudden, like, that is a that is a reason to believe to me. You know, like, that was a motive of credibility. This very smart person is willing to take this seriously. You know, so I'm I'm very grateful personally for the for the witness of people like Dr. Peter Kreef, like, you know, Dr. Scott Hahn, like Father Sam Kachuba. Who's that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I like... Yeah, that holy God. I, I really like this very direct approach, though, to say when you see a Christian symbol, you're you're using Christian stories. But some of the things that you're talking about don't jive with any of that, and it's both on a natural level and on a supernatural, spiritual level. And we've got to get right. at least one of those things right. And guess what? If you get the supernatural, spiritual level right, you're going to get the natural level right. If you get at least the natural level right, you you might start getting the supernatural, spiritual level right. But what, what was it like to receive that? So because we had such a working relationship, it, it was like a normal mm. conversation. I mean, we're sitting here trying to create a brand new company for something that never existed before. And and we would have to battle over ideas and be willing to say, hey, I think this is the golden egg that's going to hatch and become, you know, the, the answer to all of our problems. And have your, your co-founders shoot holes all over it and even sink it or tell you, no, we think you're onto something or no, you're wrong and battle over it to find mm -hmm. middle ground. So, so it was always about the battle for the truth and the right idea. So I had this relationship with these guys. And so when he challenged me like that, it was just yet again, another mm. challenge based on our relationship. And so one of the things he literally asked me, the literal, one of the literal questions was, how do you reconcile what you do with what you say? And my response was, Mike, I, I really don't even think about it. And he said, you might want to. And, and I'm not going to go into what was behind that, but um, it, it forced me to examine those things. And when I said, my mindset is that if you want to go to heaven, all you have to do is be a good person. Mm. But according to whose standard? Like, that's yeah, the who's, question. Who's the one who sets right? the standard of what it means to be a good person? Right. Because, because if, like, if you take the radical leftist, like, I can physically mutilate children because they feel like they want to be a different sex. I can murder babies. I can euthanize old people. All in the name of goodness. As recycle, <laughs> yeah. As long as I recycle and use proper pronouns, I'm a good person. Yeah. Right. Something's got to give yeah. somewhere. <laughs> that's a messed up. That's a messed up. Like that's a yeah. bomb right there. When so. when we start then seeing like this, how this spiritual warfare is happening, like when did you start to recognize that there was a battle on for your own soul, not just not just for for other? I mean, you probably wouldn't realize that there's a battle on for other people until you realize that it's happening for yourself. So how how does that all happen? So I think I recognize it right away. So so 
I think uh, so. I'll tell the story of how I was on a date, and then yeah. and then flip it into this because because it's freaking it's it's oh my gosh it's my magnificat. God is so amazing. So um, here I am. Long story short, I'm I decide that I I want to be a husband and a father more than anything else, and I'm like getting coached up. I'm calling my friends. I'm like, what does it mean to be a Christian man? What does it mean to be a Christian husband? What does it mean to be a Christian father? And I'm like studying this. And then friends of mine introduced me to this beautiful Hispanic girl, Melissa Perez. Melissa and I begin this courtship relationship where no boundary violations. We're just getting to know each other and develop a friendship. And one night she calls me. She goes, hey, there's a priest coming to my church. You want to come hang out? And I'm like, that's a terrible idea. I'm like, why Why would we go see a priest? Like, I've never met a priest who had a pulse or seemed to like what they did. <laughs> like, I had a horrible experience with priests. I mean, and I'm not going to go... Into the, it was bad, a lot of bad experiences. And um, she's like, no, no, I think it'd be good. And so we go to this guy's talk and in the, in this priest is on fire. He's, he's preaching with the Holy spirit. And I'm just like, dang, this guy is good. And then it kept getting deeper and deeper into me. And I sat back in the pew, Melissa, right next to me. And I think to myself, if this man says I'm signing people up in the back to become priest, I'll go. <laughs> I don't know what I'll tell Melissa or my family, but That's I'll do awesome. it. The most honest thought I've ever had in my life. Within 20 seconds of that thought, Melissa, the girl I'm with, elbows me in the side and whispers to me, hey, are you sure you're not supposed to be a priest? <laughs> so everyone finds this hysterical. I was not laughing. No, here's, here's the thing. I got to tell you this. So I was once the, a, a date for a, a school dance with a girl named Melissa Perez. <laughs> at the time that I was starting to discern the priesthood uh, as a high school student. <laughs> and she she didn't live in Texas. She did, did she? not. And she never told me, <laughs> she was not the one who told me that I should be a priest, but I did date a girl who told me that she thought I was going to become a priest. No yeah. Kidding. So I, I fully understand this experience, like from the inside, I've, I've been there. I've been yeah. in that seat and it's weird, isn't it? Like, yeah, did I just get I dumped? Turned, what What's happening? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, she, she, when she elbowed me i froze i turned into a stench. how did she know it that you were like, thinking that oh i freaked out and so but i turned to the tabernacle and i looked at the tabernacle and i said lord i said if this priest up there if that guy right there in the black if he as much as references the priesthood if he says the word priest if he says the word vocation i i will literally stand up tonight and i will sign up but that did not count. I said, if he says something, not her. <laughs> and the evening ends and the priest doesn't say anything. This happened in November of 2002. For four months, the thought about being a priest bothers me every day. All of this took place in Austin, Texas. I moved from Austin to Houston, 300 miles away for some consulting work. And this thought of being a priest bothers me. Someone says, why don't you go talk to a priest and learn about the priesthood and see what this might mean? And I said, I guess I can do that. So someone gives me a name of a guy across town. I call, I make an appointment and get there, knock on the door and out walks the same priest that was in Austin four months Whoa. ago. <laughs> <laughs> My head exploded and I literally shook his hand and said, my name is Ken Geraci. I think I'm supposed to be a priest. Yeah. So, so I say this. So to answer your question, when did I realize spiritual warfare was real? Well, it was in this discernment process. Yeah. 
because this group of people that I, this group was a religious community, I started to discern with them. Um, they self-identified as being a little more progressive. And I said, well, what does it mean to be, I mean, we're all Catholic, right? I mean, I, you know, got the green catechism. This is what we believe, you know, you know, we're all on team Jesus, right? And he goes, well, we don't wear our clerics in public. And I'm like, it's a wardrobe thing, big deal. I didn't understand the importance of it then. And, uh, well, long story short, come to find out the further I get discerning with this group, um, the more that I realize and how the non-negotiables of faith, they very much negotiated. Mm. And um, the, the Eucharist was a meal, not a sacrifice. Um, women priest, uh, mm. you know, contraception is, is a great thing, right? Um, you know, God hates fornication, but, you know, he understands if someone falls. I mean, just some, yeah. of, some of the insanity. And this is, you know, again. These are, these are things that point towards it. So when we look at these, these limitations that existed there, I realized very quickly that I'm in turbulent ground. And then someone gave me the book, Goodbye, Good Men. Oh, yeah. And then I got brought up to speed yeah. very quickly on the radical homosexual left infiltrating the church and what is behind the sex abuse crisis. Yeah. Because I started discerning in 2002 as the scandals were breaking. Yeah. Yeah, so, no, I'm, that's that was my uh, that was my first year of seminary. Was okay. was yeah, exactly that time. So, yeah, I I know. And and actually, goodbye, good men was was an important book to read. It's so funny now. Like I look back, um, I, I look back on on that time in my life, um, and everything that was going on there, and uh, I feel like that was that 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 book at the time was like offering some answer, like some some sure. reason behind it. Right, that that helped me to understand more, but I look today and I see that there's we still have our issues. <laughs> That's this; it's not over. I wish that it was, no. Um, no, and I and now I think as a priest looking at it, I see more the the way that the the scandal of abuse in in the life of the church, um, it's it's also complicity. It's it's that soft peddling of non negotiable things. Um, yep. it's, it's the loss of a, a true and healthy understanding of what it, what it is to be a priest. But then it's, it's also, it's just that mystery of iniquity, like the, the yep. reality of, mm. of sin and that, that sin affects priests too, but it's, it's so painful to see now. Like for me, it's even, it's even worse at this point. It was bad yeah. going through seminary formation, but like, Hey, I was still early on. Like, that's not me. I'll, 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 I'll figure it out. Right. Wow. Yeah. 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 So do you wear do you well, wear your clerics in public? Do you wear your clerics in public? Ninety nine percent of the time. I, I think if I'm going the, if I'm running the Home Depot, I'll be. Uh... <laughs> you so, should try Home so, Depot and so, clerics, though. It's a totally different experience. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, no, it's fantastic. Um, no, I, 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 you know, again, it's it's a friend of mine said, uh, you know, a firefighter wears blue. Police officers, you know, looks like a police officer, right? You know, a, you know, a doctor looks like a doctor. If someone needs help, they're going to look for people who are dressed the part. And yeah, you know, and you know, anyhow, you know, just because I take the collar off, it doesn't mean I stop being a priest. So. But but then you know this tying back to the spiritual warfare question that you asked you know when did w when did we recognize this and how you know so the fight was on early and we're battling you know not for Latin and lace we're we're battling for the core tenets of the faith and you know the reality of Jesus's presence in the Eucharist 
you know, one of the things I don't I don't say it explicitly in the book, but but I say this, and, and if you know anybody's going to clip this, you know, please don't take it out of context. But for the last fifty years, sixty years, the church has failed to do its job. Yeah to teach, to catechize, to lead people into a relationship with not only Christ, but the deposit of the faith. I was just in a diocese. This diocese did a census last year. 1.3 million Catholics in the diocese. Of the 1.3 million Catholics, only 112,000 come to church. Wow. This is less than 10%. If anybody wants to argue that the Catholic Church has not failed, that diocese 100% has failed. You have lost over 90% of your flock. Now, again, I am not casting dispersions. I am not casting condemnations. It's an observation of the recordable death. Yeah. And it means we failed somewhere along the lines. I can't say what happened, but what I can say is that when we go back through the deposit of the faith in the history of the church, and we look at times where we were in the dumps, what did it take to get back to a place of vibrancy? It was a return to prayer, penance, almsgiving, sacrifice, and the roots in the core of our faith. Hmm. Jesus's presence in the Eucharist, devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, you know, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. You know, our Lord promised the, the heart that is lukewarm, he will set aflame. The heart that is aflame, he will ignite into an inferno. So just by exercising these devotions, we can allow God to take the omus of the work on his hands and advance us and move us forward. Yeah. So we have all of the answers in our history. It's just for us to rediscover them and execute on them. But isn't that the great thing? We don't have to go and come up with something new. We already, like, we know the solution. Whatever the problem is in the life of the church, the answer always kind of starts the same way. It's it's prayer. It's the sacramental life of the church. It's it's getting to confession. It's praying the rosary. Start there. And you're immediately going to start to see some kind of result. Things are going to start to turn, right? It's yeah. it's not about programming or anything else. Um, it's yeah. it's about those those really basic kind of fundamental things. Um but isn't it interesting? And you, you made the uh, the allusion, Father. It's not about just Latin and lace, but about the fundamentals of, of of our faith. Isn't it interesting that the very same people who so often say like lace is the greatest scandal that we can possibly imagine are also the ones who are ignoring the fundamentals, <laughs> who are ignoring like the very basic structure of the creed. Just like the, I believe yeah. in one God and I, I believe in these things and the, the, the green catechism that you were talking about before, which now I think the newest version is blue, um, but whatever color it is, it doesn't matter. Like the catechism definitively shows us what the, what the faith is. Isn't it interesting that we can so easily like reject certain external things claiming that we're doing this other thing, but we're, in fact, we're rejecting we're rejecting the core. Yes. You know, yes. we're rejecting and we're the rejecting core. Right. right. I mean, th that's the thing is that, is that indirectly a person becomes an antichrist when they do said things. Yeah. And so again, it's, it's a both and we can walk and chew gum, right? We, we need to be looking for the poor. We need to be looking out for the migrant. We need to be going out to the margins, right? But also, we need to be interiorizing the realities of faith in our life. Yeah. We need to offer the liturgy exceptionally well. 
There should be no excuse for a priest not to have a beautiful chapel, to have the, I mean, St. John B. Andy is the patron, the universal patron of all priests. And when you look at his approach to the liturgy, I mean, this should be the foundation for every single priest. And I'm not talking about the Latin mass. I'm talking about giving God our very best. Mm-hmm. Um, my, if you see my surplus, you ever see me offering mass, I've got, I've got an alb that has got 12 inches of lace <laughs> on, on the edge. Now, I never wanted that. Literally, when I was ordained, I'm I'm a business process guy. What is efficient? What is efficient, Father? Zipper and Velcro. <laughs> but so zipper and I Velcro is so ugly. Oh, get <laughs> this. So like I like that was my go-to. Yeah. So like I literally I had it. I was I was one of my priests was with me, and I was putting it in the shopping cart, and he looked at me, and he goes. Is that the best you can give Jesus? And I said, but it's practical. It packs up, it, it zips up, it's it's efficient. He goes, but is the liturgy about efficiency? Yeah. He goes, what is the best you can give Jesus? You know, and so $80 for a polyester Velcro zip up or $120 for this beautiful right. lace. And so it was that encouragement that I'm not doing it for me to look the part. I'm doing it to give to God. Yeah. And so I, I think purity, now there's other guys who are, you know, and these are the people Pope Francis criticizes, is that the guy who's at Gamarelli's and he's, you know, looking for the, you know, he's trying to look the part that he he lacks all of the internals with. Right. And listen, I, I will jump on that bandwagon to, to, to yeah. beat up on the, the OPDs, the overpious and devotional types. <laughs> but, OPDs, uh, man. Oh but, my gosh, you are yeah. giving us so much to work with. I love it's, it. <laughs> it's really good. All right, but now, I'm glad you bring up John Vianney because I want I want to bring this back in a, in a slightly different direction. I I love the story of John Vianney, um, like hearing the knock on his door and he opens the door and it's the devil. Yeah, and he says, "Oh, it's only you," and he closed yep. the door and went back to bed. Yep. All right, yep. now we're talking <laughs> spiritual warfare. Yes. And. Uh, you said something before that was that was important, and it was actually bringing to mind. Uh, we did an interview recently with Father Vincent Lampert, uh, who's an exorcist, yeah. and we got to talk to him about his his ministry. And he just very powerfully redirected everything. He said, "This is always about bringing a, a person back to God. It's always about Christ's victory. It's not about what the devil can do or, yeah. or the devil's parts. About what God does. So it's always coming back to that to that central point that this is always, always, always all about God. Well, though, then by the by the same token, spiritual warfare is not about the attacks. It's not about like the highlight shouldn't be that we're that we're fighting." The highlight is that Christ already has the victory. And so John Vianney opens his door and finds the devil standing at his, literally at his doorstep and says, oh, it's only you and closes the door because he knows who has the victory. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more than that, right? We, we have to, because, because I hear this in Protestant circles a lot. We read the last chapter of the Bible. We know who wins. But the question I ask early in the book is, what is the score? Mm. We win, but what's the score? Maybe you and I make it, but what about my niece and nephews? What about my family members who don't practice the faith? What about President Biden and Nancy Pelosi? What about those who are agnostic or atheists or enemies of the church? Right? Did they make it? 
Yeah. So I, I, you know, it doesn't matter how much I don't like someone. You, you, you never want anyone ever to go to hell under any circumstances. Um, you know, I had one woman, uh, she was having a hard time forgiving someone. And I said, I said, you've got to show something here. Give me an inch. I said, at least do you want these people to go to heaven? And she goes, fine, but on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> the other side of so, heaven. Yeah, that's good. The other side of heaven. So, so this whole thing of, of recognizing that, that we are fighting for victory, but in order just to be victorious is to unite ourselves with Christ and to allow that brightness of Christ to shine through us to dispel the darkness. Mm. And that and that we have a role to treat the devil as nothing more because any exorcist will tell you that the devil becomes nothing more than a swarming bug or gnat or fly or something that just becomes an irritant. Mm. But but it's a very vicious and poisonous irritant. If you don't stay in the church, if you're not staying in the sacraments, if you're not staying in the virtue of humility, that's where you set yourself up as prey to the mm. devil. Mm. So so we have to make the yes, yes, we can just close the door on the devil, but but make sure you didn't leave the windows open for him to come in. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I'm always fascinated by this. I just I look at it as that great testimony to the sanctity of, of St. John Vianney and to his extreme rootedness in his relationship with the Lord and the way that God was was at work in and through him because for him to be able to close the door saying, oh, it's only you, he not only understands who has the ultimate victory, that final victory, but he's also right then and there aware of, of the score. In John Vianney's case, he knows that he's winning. <laughs> That's why the devil showed up yes. at his door. Right? Like right. John Vianney right. was winning. He's 18 hours of confession a day means that, that John Vianney is winning yeah, this is for winning. Christ. You know, yeah. uh, so maybe like the only way for the devil to to try something was be was, would be to show up right at the door. And I think to yeah. myself, well, all right. At, at the risk of comparing, first of all, the devil hasn't shown up at my door. Um, so what am I doing wrong? Um, but, but then also, well, you're on a podcast, not the yeah. <laughs> What would I do if I open the door and he's standing there? Like, would I have that courage to say it's only you? Close the door again. Yeah. But I th- isn't that kind of the the spiritual question at the end of the day? Is like that's what every temptation is. Am I am I opening the door and letting him in, or am I yeah. closing the door and, and with the grace of God keeping him out? Well, I, I, I kind of alluded to my own weaknesses earlier. You know, listen, if someone put a gun to my head, wanted to cut off body parts, you know, deny Christ, or I'm going to cut your hands off. I'm like, go ahead and chop it off, you know. Um, but those big things, I could, I'm ready to go. Uh, but inconvenience me? <laughs> Discomfort? Inconvenience? I mean, those are the death, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a reality that though I may be fortified and strong in this area, I've got this whole other spectrum that I'm weak in, that that this is where humility and the virtue of humility is so vitally important to, to rely on Christ for all things mm. and try to find him in every instance. Lord, where are you at in this and how can I be united to you in it? Mm. I mean, in a sense, that's kind of the chaplet too, right? How can I be united to you in it? Right, like we, well, 100%, you know, we're offering, 100%. we're offering ourselves, we're 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 asking the Lord to subsume our sufferings to His, and then we're offering it to the Father, 
right? With yes. with the primary being his suffering, right? Like it's not it's not mine. I, something that struck me in 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 your book was a, a quote from the diary, where it said, uh, "I'm I'm gonna misquote it, but you know, bear with me here." Um, it was an hour of meditating on my passion is more powerful than a year of was it fl- flagellation? Is that the word that draws yeah. blood? And I, yes. I read that and said out loud, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, but but it, it kind of struck me that if if the reverse were true, right? It would be about right. me. Yes. You know, as opposed to like, yes. well, I'm meditating on on the passion of Christ and therefore yes. right, the offering that he makes. And and yes, it is good for me to ask the Lord to subsume my offering to his. Right? Like there is a place for that. There's a place for penance. There's a place for fasting. There's a place for offering our sufferings. But like my suffering has only got any kind of, you know, power in prayer because of his. You yeah. know? Um, I don't remember why I started on this, but 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 it, you know, you drew it out of me. <laughs> um I, I guess since we're talking about the chaplet and and I'm gonna add in the image and uh, mm-hmm. the feast day. Um, yep. Testimonies are tremendously powerful. Um, do you have any stories of great conversion? Someone who preaches this often, right? Stories yeah. of great conversion related to the chaplet, related to the image, related to the feast day. Uh, I just want to open the door for you there. I, I, well, I, I, the, the one of my favorite stories, I think it's either, uh, uh, I think it's Father Michael Gately's father mm. who was struggling he had some health issues i believe it was cancer and one they were at the divine mercy shrine and i think it was the feast day and his dad felt felt drawn to be in front of the image mm. and i think he tells this story in that in that divine mercy book that he had mm. written the greatest story second greatest story ever told and he was he sat in front of that image and, and he, his dad articulates how he felt the waves of the rays flowing mm. through him wow. and he was cured of his illness um, the, you know, the, the number of people who have picked up the chaplet on that, that promise, the one who prays the chaplet one time will not be lost. And they do it as a joke. And I, I'm lost to find the guy's name, but he was a pretty pro- prolific sinner. And he said, well, if I just do this one time, I'm going to be, you know, I'm good <laughs> yeah. to go. And he doesn't, has a radical conversion. Yo. Um, so, so there are many of these things. The challenge with the chaplet is, is that. You know, the opponents, I, I can't, and I love our, I love our Catholic faith and I love those who love the rosary. And, but so many people, like I make the argument that the chaplet is more powerful than the rosary. And man, and, you and must you, have you, really annoyed some people with that. <laughs> I, when I say this, like wailing garments are being torn <laughs> and, and, and they'll point to me to say, well, what war did the chapel of divine mercy win? I'm like, okay, well, let's let's pump the brakes. <laughs> let's pump the brakes because 1932 versus the 1200s, right? You know, Our Lady gave the the rosary to Saint Dominic. Um, the rosary's got a little more track record here, so I'm not <laughs> denying the power of the rosary. And you included a chapter I'm, in your book on the rosary. I do. So, I do. There's a whole yeah, chapter on fair it. Fair coverage. That's that's and, good. Uh, and it's and it's me. It's me dogging the rosary, saying you should know. <laughs> No, I would never do that. But but my I argue that the chaplet is more powerful. And people will say, well, show us, give me all the stories. What war did the chaplet end? What well, it wasn't until the till St. John Paul the Great became Pope 
that he approves the messages of Faustina, that this devotion really gets taken track. So it's literally, we, we have 50 years of history of the promotion of the chaplet. So if you want to see a war being won, let's all pray the chaplet. Let's get the entire mm. universal church together and pray the chaplet for the end of the war in Ukraine. Mm. And let's all fast and let's all get into it and let's all be serious about it and let's do it and watch that puppy get shut down over time. Wow. I like that idea. But we don't have the faith to do that. No, but that's that's really good though. To like, all right, because we, we talk about we want to pray for Ukraine. We want to pray for Israel. Let's 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 pray for, for peace. Let's pray for the protection of the innocent. Let's let's pray for the end of war. Great, right? We're we're all on board. We could pray the rosary. And like people I think are looking for specifics. Like they're they're looking for something that that's concrete, a concrete way in which we're going to, uh, to to pray and to intercede. Well, the Divine Mercy Chaplet seems like exactly the kind of thing that should fit into that equation, right? Exactly. Yeah. So here's my argument: why the chaplet is more powerful than the rosary. All right, from a mystical perspective, what are we doing when you do either? Well, with the rosary, you're meditating on the twenty mysteries of the life of Christ. With the chaplet, you are uniting yourself to the sacred action of Jesus' offering on Calvary. So you are offering to God the Father. So meditation versus an action. Okay, so this is the principle why I argue it's more powerful. Now, what makes the rosary so powerful? Well, for 15 to 20 minutes, you're sitting with the mother of God, who is the queen of heaven, who loves you dearly. She is enamored with you. She loves you. She wants to hear you. She's so pleased that you are in her presence. She is sitting at the right hand of her son. And together, you and Mary, and she's teaching you on these mysteries of the rosary. So, so there we are together with Mother Mary and her son going through the life of mm -hmm. Christ. That's the rosary. That's my argument of what the rosary is. Mary is interceding on our behalf. I tell people when you pray the rosary, if you get distracted, focus on one word, the word now. Holy Mary, Mother of God, mm. pray for us when? Now. now. Mm. So if I asked you two to pray for me right now, you would bow your heads and you would pray for me now. So for 20 minutes, we're sitting with Mother Mary and she's praying for our needs. So that's part of the power of the rosary is that mother is interceding for us. We are in the presence of Christ mystically. Yeah. So all of that ties together. Now the chaplet, we said, is the offering of Christ on Calvary to God the Father. Who is at the foot of the cross? Mary, John, the two other Marys, right? So you add yourself to that attendance. And there you stand with Mother Mary who is standing united in this offering of Christ to God the Father. And so nothing is more powerful than Christ's one perfect offering for our redemption and divine adoption. So how much more powerful is it when we unite ourselves and pray for mercy in the way that God has invited us to pray for mercy? Mm -hmm. So this is why I argue that the chaplet is more powerful than the rosary. I don't say you should abandon the rosary. I say it's both and. Mm -hmm. Let's let's do both. Yeah. And together, it's this one-two punch that I think is, is the unstoppable formula. Um, I think if we had a campaign of prayer and fasting and, and that the, the entire universal church dedicated themselves to praying the rosary and chaplet each day with some basic form of fasting, 
And we took that serious for 30 days. I mean, we really got into it like we meant it, like an Old Testament fast. Yeah. We, you know, we'd fix a lot of problems. Uh, I like, so the, I think the argument holds right that there's there's a certain power that exists in the in the divine mercy chaplet that's not present in the rosary but again not as something that takes away from the rosary or contradicts it at all but rather that that kind of supports it but i would look at that and think what is it that allowed the apostles to to stay together in the upper room before pentecost and what is it that kept john the beloved disciple at the foot of the cross on calvary it was mary and so when you combine those two things when you talk about praying the rosary and the divine mercy chaplet. So it's not an oppositional like either or, it's both and when you right. when you do that, then that's what's going to enable us. Like it's Mary's intercession that's going to enable us to go to the cross and to unite ourselves to the cross of Christ and to his passion. And then it's the it's the intercession of Mary uh holding us and teaching us that allows us to then unite ourselves more perfectly in that work of peace that brings about that that final peace that Christ desires. So th this makes this all makes perfect sense to me. Like it's, it's, it's jiving. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so reasonable and it's so obtainable. It's, it, you know, and again, I'm not saying I'm the only person talking about this. There's a handful of other evangelists in the church talking about yeah. it, but it's not being talked about enough. We're going about church as business as usual. Mm. And, and I believe we are entering into the deconstruction phases of Catholicism where the institutions, the physical institutions we will lose these soon. Yeah. Uh, large part is because we can't afford them. We can't maintain them. Right. Perfect example of this is Dunwoody, not Dunwoody, um, St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia. Right. Like this beautiful 62 acre, gorgeous, most beautiful plot of land in June transfers ownership from the diocese to a hospital system. Right. And Wow, I didn't we, know that. We just, they can't afford to maintain it. Yeah. And parishes are being consolidated. And, you know, and it's in these, the buildings are costing more. You know, we don't have people in the pews anymore yeah. because we've not done a good job in teaching the faith. So, right. yeah. And, and I think we've, we've tried probably to prop things up for too long. You know, speaking as a diocesan priest, uh, I, I would look around and say, yeah, I think we've we've tried to keep things moving and like keep the same stuff for as long as we possibly can, but we haven't really addressed the issue. And the, and the issue is precisely what you're saying that we don't have people coming anymore, um, or we've we've failed to address the underlying issue of we, we've done this. Uh, we're we're going to prepare for this kind of a an eventuality, but we've we failed to address the fact that we need to start catechizing we need to re-evangelize we need like we need the new evangelization um yes we we got rid of you know like i'm, I'm always fascinated by this the, the divine mercy chapel was something i was introduced to in high school it was the first time i ever i ever heard of it um and i remember uh, at at my school i went to a catholic high school um the chaplain was organizing something like a I think I think we were doing like a holy hour or something after school, and our director of campus ministry was a, a religious sister came, and uh, I suggested that we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and the chaplain said, "Yeah, that's a great idea. Hang on, I have some Divine Mercy Chaplet cards. I'll go, I'll go get them so that anybody who doesn't know can can pray along." So, oh, great! And sister had no idea what the Divine Mercy Chaplet was, had never heard of it, 
and right. was was kind of confused by the whole thing. And for her, this was this was an, an unusual thing. I remember uh, reading somebody uh, locally here who who wrote about that and said it seemed very strange and 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 off putting. Uh, and I was like, why? And her whole thing was, well, I'm a Vatican II Catholic, and so anything like like the Divine Mercy Chaplains, I'm like, what? Asking Jesus to save us and the whole world <laughs> from sin is is against Vatican II? Like, what the heck? I don't understand. But to this point about deconstruction, Father Ken, I mean, here's what here's what I, I see all the time, like as as a pastor now, uh, I've been I've been able to do a lot of good things. I have amazing parishioners and that makes it possible to do a lot of really, really good things. But the number of times I'm told by people in the parish that they've never heard certain things. They've never, they, nobody ever showed them mass parts sung in Latin um, or they've, they've yeah. never heard of uh, adoration. And now we're right. working on uh, getting our adoration chapel to becoming a perpetual adoration chapel. Right now it's Monday yeah. through Friday. We're working on weekends. If anybody listening is in the greater Fairfield area and would like to volunteer, just go to the St. Pius website and you can you can sign up to be a volunteer adore over the weekend hours. But like so many people never heard of anything like that. Um, two, two women in the parish approached me a few months ago and asked if they could start doing the first Saturday devotion, if we could make it a public thing. And if I'd be part of it or me and my, my associate, if we could expose the blessed sacrament for that so that we could like make something of it. And in the three months that we've been doing the first Saturday devotion, um, after the morning mass on Saturdays, we get 60 people sticking around to, to pray the first Saturday devotion. Um, and and people are saying, I've never I've never seen this before I've never heard of this but I love the idea and you start to realize that there's this instinct it's an instinct of faith that says this is what we're supposed to do the bishop um, just we had a, a meeting of all the priests and then of, of all the pastors uh, subsequent to that and and he's talking about a desire that's on his heart to to ask priests to make sure that there's a kneeler uh, in the communion line. So that anybody who wishes to kneel can kneel because he keeps seeing it everywhere he goes. He says he cannot think of a mass that he has celebrated in the last five years where at least one person has not knelt to receive communion. He says, right. just for the sake of not making them fall over, <laughs> or you know, he like he would like to have a spot where they can kneel. Of course, I have a I have an altar rail, and that's where I distribute communion. Is that is at the altar rail in my parish, and it's it's great. It's the greatest thing in the world, and like it's almost like the church always had this instinctual knowledge that people should be kneeling to receive communion, and so built it into the very architecture <laughs> of the church. I don't know; it's a crazy thought, but <laughs> anyway. So so rigid so inflexible <laughs> but all that is to say i mean to to your point this this moment of deconstruction as much as we're seeing maybe a decline in terms of um buildings and properties and and maybe even a consolidation in like numbers of parishes i think at the same time that there's deconstruction there's also always a purifying and yes. so the essentials start to come back the things that are most important like if i can't have this building what do I have? Well, I have the Catholic faith. If I can't have this this thing or this particular location anymore, or if we can't sustain this organization, then, then what do we still have? Well, then we're going to pray. Like at the yes. end of the day, you can't stop me from praying. At the end of the day, you can't take away the mass, right? Look at all the places that have tried to take away the mass. Yeah. And <laughs> what happens? They do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we have to make a distinction um, 
for people to try to take away the mass is one thing for the faithful to give it up and give it away is another. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the, one of the most, when you look at the fervent parishes and again, I'm not advocating for anything pre-Vatican II. I'm not, you know, I tell people the only Latin I know is Kyrie eleison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matt, that's a priest joke. I don't know if you got it. That's a great I, priest I joke. Yeah, so Kyrie eleison is Greek. So when he says it's the only Latin he knows, it's really fun. Yeah. That's really, really good. I love it. That's, that's well, my dad no, perfect. I, I that's so good. <laughs> um, but but it's it's about the reverence of the mass. It's the beauty of the mass. It's getting beyond our own personalities and allowing Christ to be present and offer the mass the way the church asks us to offer right. it. And when we when I talk about giving away the mass, I'm talking about going to either extreme, where the people who it's like it, it makes me crazy when when people say, and I know what they're asking. I, I I and I don't judge anybody for this, but when someone says, "Father, do you do you celebrate the Latin Mass?" Like we shouldn't be concerned with the language that we use. We need to ask what faith is it celebrated with? And I go to offer the sacrifice of Calvary and I lead people into that worship of God, the father through the sacrifice of the mass. See, and again, people who say, I can't wait to go to mass to receive Jesus, though I applaud that it's ever so misdirected because you're not going to mass to receive. You should not care about receiving Jesus when you go to Mass. You should only be concerned with giving God the Father your very best through uniting yourself through every element of the Mass, from the sign of the cross to the great doxology, to pour yourself out like a libation Mm -hmm. in that sacred action. And then when you give everything to the Father and your divine adoption and redemption is renewed through that offering, the father is never outdone in generosity. Then he feeds you with his son. See, that's the faith that I celebrate the mass. Mm. And I can do it in any language, right? right. Not in any language. Yeah. But it doesn't matter what language you use if you celebrate the mass with faith. But these priests who haphazardly rush through mass and, and see the consecration and throw Jesus up and down and they pass out Jesus as if he's a, you know, he's, they're dealing cards. I mean, these are the atrocities that have existed in our faith for years. Right. You know, the the I can't tell you, and even in some faithful diocese, one faithful diocese that was in hyper-faithful, known for their orthodoxy, the priest was ticked when I let the Mass go longer than 55 minutes. Because he has a deal with his people. He gets them in and gets them out. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. we went an hour and five minutes for the mass, oh, and it wasn't like that's obscene. We were... That's just obscene. <laughs> no, it's, but it's it's the craziness yeah. that people are so focused on the efficiency of things, mm. and we forget the heart of things. Right, so, right. so I think yeah. this deconstruction phase that we're in, like you said, has a positive element because it's it's bringing us back to Lukenbach, Texas. Right? We're we're just getting get Willie Whalen and the boys, and we're just going to get back to the simple life. Of, of prayer, liturgy, sacrifice, service, yeah. the corporal works of mercy, the spiritual works of mercy, the sacraments. And again, anybody who wants to go for that ride, you will be victorious in the end. Mm. But if you don't... You're talking mm. about the deconstruction of the buildings. And something that I've heard a lot is that 
along with this deconstruction of the buildings and the losing of the buildings and handing over the buildings, there will grow the need for house churches. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious of what your thoughts are on that. Um, and if you have seen that in your travels. No, it does not exist in our travels because there is still, you know, we still are dependent on the our, the local bishops mm -hmm. for faculties. Mm -hmm. And so a priest can only operate in a geographic area with the permission of a bishop. So if I move from one diocese to the next, I have to notify that bishop and have his permission yeah. to function in his diocese. So it's it's not until the till, you know, someone drops a, you know, wipes out something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but it's you know in you know again these things you know in times of persecution and things like that things you know there's a shifting of things right, right. well yeah. I, I guess what i meant was not even necessarily that you would be the one that went and said mass not yeah. of course like not not without a bishop's permission you know what i mean but rather sure. if you were seeing that in local areas like for example if if father sam right as the pastor of a parish was was known for saying mass at certain individuals homes you know what I mean? And like seeing it grow that way. Um, the only comparison that I can make from my own personal experience, which is I'll be an, an imperfect comparison because it is not the holy sacrifice of the mass. Right. Was that as uh, I, I'm, I'm a praise and worship leader with my wife at exposition, right? Adoration of the blessed sacrament throughout yeah. our diocese. Um, right. And we would have, quote unquote, prayer meetings, if you will, where the core team group of this particular apostolate that has the blessing of the bishop. Um yes would meet at basically our homes, right? Yes. And and priests would join us. Mm. Um, and when they were there, we would always kind of defer to them, you know? Um, but kind of that, like, I, I, I call it a house church. It's probably the wrong word, you know? But just like that, it's taking root in people's homes in a different way. It's manifesting yeah. in a different way, you know? And... And like over COVID, I know that there was exposition of the Blessed Sacrament at people's backyards because technically speaking, we weren't allowed in the church, you know? And so everybody met outside, you know? And, and you know, in Connecticut, there's some people with pretty big backyards. So it was it was great, you know? But like that, that kind of thing, you know, if that's growing, if, you know, because as we, our communities, like we, we, not that it's an echo chamber, right? But like we, we, we meet with like-minded people. That's just how we are, you know? Um and so I could see that happening with something, with something like the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, you know? Well, and I think stepping out, I, li I like you taking that outside the context of Mass, right. because specifically under normal circumstances, Mass right. needs to be offered on the right. altar. In, I am know, not saying so we should disobey any bishops, just to be very no, no, no. clear. <laughs> we, no, we, we have it here recorded that Matt's saying disobey. <laughs> so we've got Father Ken saying the rosary's no good, and we've got Matt <laughs> saying that we should disobey the bishops. I mean... I got to come up with something really good to top all this. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, so, so yeah, no. So I think there's this whole thing. What you're seeing here is this organic movement of, of unity of communion right. outside of the church. And, and this is one of the great eras errors of the church is that, is that people would say, Oh, the Catholic church isn't welcoming. We need to have welcoming committees. And it's like no one ever came to Mass for a social outlet. Hmm. Historically, everyone came to Mass to worship God and not to see Betty or Sue. If you want to go see Betty or Sue, go visit Betty or Sue. I love right? it. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's but when you come to Mass, you come to pray. Yeah. Right. Like I can find Betty or Sue anywhere. 
but I can only find Christ's real presence in the Eucharist in the church. So this is the beauty of what you're describing, these local communities coming together to pray together, to just have a rosary procession Mm -hmm. together, to, uh, you know, praise and worship. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to do. Um, You know, to have that community because our devices, our technology, as much as it promised connection, all it's done is create disconnection. Yeah. You know, so this is a, I think it's a, it's a great it's a great idea though like that that idea of the house church maybe not so much for the sake of of the mass mm-hmm. uh, but for for other purposes right so uh, in my other podcast uh, Roar like the lamb that I, I recorded one today and we talked about exactly this idea though uh, so this past weekend I had the experience with my, my associate and I went uh, to a party that some friends of ours were having and it was a whole bunch of Catholic families just tons and tons of Catholic families plus some who you know maybe not have been super devout. Um, or some who were maybe not even Catholic, uh, but who were invited by friends, by the by the people who they knew, who invited them to say, "Hey, come." And what we saw was just it was it was families, it was their kids, and and everybody just all together doing this. And there were a bunch of priests who were who were invited as well. And so you've got all of these people together, and it's a entirely a social event. And so there's conversation ranging from. Uh, what did your favorite sports team do today to uh, father? Can you tell me something? Uh, I have a theological question for you about this, this particular aspect of the divine knowledge. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to know more about it. And the, the whole gamut of, of all of this stuff was happening. And so my associate was commenting and father Brendan said, we couldn't do this at the parish. And I said, because it's, it's not the, it's not because like, we're not capable of inviting people and getting and organizing a good event. Like we could organize a good event, but, this can only happen in this person's backyard. This kind of an event can only happen because these families decided to get together. And some of the people who were invited would only come to this because their friends invited them. So like mm. the importance of of people um, who attend mass, the importance of, of Catholics recognizing that, yeah, it might not be about uh, literally a house church, but what was a house church in the early days of of the Christian faith? The house church was right. was was both the place where they gathered for worship, literally, and it was the place where they just gathered people in to be together as community. Right, and that's how the that's how evangelization happens. So if people start to realize that their own home can be that place for evangelization, like they don't have to go to their parish and do it, and especially if your parish is farther away, if if your parish gets combined with another parish, and so you can't yeah. get to mass as easily, or you can't get to the church as easily, do it right there at home, and what a what a powerful gift that can be. And I can tell you, right, as the layperson in the conversation, <laughs> right, but that's a, that's a very empowering idea, yeah, of saying like, no, you know, the the mass is is meant to be in the church, and and it's something I would agree with, right, like sure, just sure. by the nature of it, you know, yeah, like my table isn't an altar, you know, um, but you saying to me like, you know what, invite your Catholic, you know, family friends over invite invite your non-catholic family friends over you know and and heck like uh, funny enough i'm going to compare it to an event we had at our church but um (laughs) we we had this acapella night at our church recently where we invited an acapella group in and 135 people showed up or something you know and just before this group sang like it was strictly a social event essentially right we had someone give like a four minute testimony and i going into this event i didn't like admittedly 
I sang in an acapella group in college, okay? I've admitted it. You can all make fun of me now, <laughs> right? But, like, I didn't even know this testimony was going to happen, you know? And I was just glad to hear it, you know? Like, I, it was there. I received it. It was four minutes. We listened to a bunch of music for, like, 45 minutes, you know? And that was that, you know? But, like, you could do that at your house. You can what? invite your friends over, and then maybe, maybe, right? You guys say, the, you know, the chaplet of divine mercy. Yeah. It takes seven yeah. minutes, you know, so so personally, I find that to be a very empowering idea. Um, well, and I want to I want to interject yeah, on please. this because this specifically for men, for laymen, laymen are they want to step up to the plate. They want to do it. They just show me how. Yeah. Give me an example, right? Give me some support because men are out there. I swear, the if any women are watching this, the single greatest thing you can do for your husband, obviously, respect him. But but give him words of encouragement and thank him for the husband that he is, for the good things that he's doing. Mm. Because when men go out into the culture, they're being beat down around every corner, saying their masculinity is toxic, their very present is toxic, um, they're, they're, whatever they're doing is never good enough. And, and then you have their own demons that they carry, mm. right? So, so for men to come together and just pray together as men, something simple, let's Stay in our Father, Hail Mary, to glory be together. Right. Let's pray a chapel together. Let's do something simple. Right. But at least to give a witness of it helps encourage it and, and sets guys on fire. We don't need a lot. Just give us a bone and we'll we'll go we'll go do something with it. Yeah. We'll go bury it. <laughs> no, you've misunderstood the parable of the talents, Matthew. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now I, I got to admit, okay, I said it to you before we started recording. That was like an hour and a half ago. Um, I had no idea that there were portions of Saint Faustina's diary that have to do with the second coming of Christ, right? So I just again, right, I'm opening the door. I'm asking you to break that open for me because, man, when I read that, I was like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's often what Matt to... does. Like he reads something, and he goes, "Oh, whoa!" He's he's always surprised by things. It's great. It's one of the yeah. joys yeah, of I working. Live, with I him. live in a state of perpetual surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you've ever seen the uh, Disney Pixar movie Up, I'm like yes. that dog. He's Doug. <laughs> he's Doug. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I think it's paragraph 48 of the diary where our Lord appears to her and gives her this message. But but he says that 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 you are to prepare the world for my second coming. And he refers to Faustina throughout the diary as his secretary of mercy in the, or the secretary of his second coming. St. John Paul the Great kind of doubles down on this, where normally this type of situation, the church would simply just call a private revelation. Mm -hmm. But John Paul II goes a little further and says that Faustina is not just a woman who has received private revelation, but he equates her to a prophetess, mm. much in the spirit of um, Isaiah or Ezekiel or mm. the Old Testament prophets, mm. right? Jesus gave her a very specific message about a very specific event, which is the end of the world, the second coming. And he said, before the hour of before the day of justice is the hour of mercy. And if you do not turn to my mercy, you will have to answer through justice. Mm. So, so it, it, things get very, very stark in this. And again, a lot of the opponents of the divine mercy message, there are major promises made, like 
the one who venerates this image will not be lost. For those who pray the chaplet one time will not be lost. <clears throat> like, what about baptism? What about the Eucharist? What about confession, right? You know, the point is, we are bound by the sacraments. We have to do what the sacraments say. If a person knows that the Catholic Church is true, and they do not follow the church's teaching or join the church, again, that will be counted against them in a severe way, almost to the point of damnation, most likely. You know, so I'm not going to say that that it's an absolute thing because there's always room for God's mercy, but it's not going to look good for you if you knew you were supposed to do something and didn't yeah. do it. But God is not bound by the rules he makes for us. God God can dispense those rules. And so, again, in the book, I liken it to a store that's going out of business. You know, when a store is going out of business, the first week it says 20% off everything, then 40% off, then 60% off. Right before the store is gone forever, there's a sign out front that says, no reasonable offer will be refused. And this is where I feel that we're at in salvation history. Again, I love our church, and I'm not dogging or bashing any of our bishops or any of our cardinals or any of the popes, but we have fundamentally failed in teachings the basics of our faith to the point that of those who practice their faith, 70% do not believe in the real presence in the Eucharist, right? I guarantee probably 90% universally couldn't tell you the difference between a mortal sin or a venial sin. Hmm. The number of people who haven't been to confession in decades, it, again, all of these things, and again, it's not a condemnation, it's an observation mm -hmm. of the state of affairs. And if the church has failed to provide for the flock, the chief shepherd, out of his mercy and, in a sense, justice, I gave these guys a job to do and they didn't do it. So am I going to judge the she sheep because the shepherds didn't do their job? Mm. No, he's not going to be permissive and just say, everyone come in, but rather he's going to give us these last pleas for our attention, for our contrition, for our love, for anything. Just give him an ounce. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be a great saint in heaven. You know, there's there's all things to do with the size of the soul, Right. But the size of the soul is, is directly related to our capacity to love and avoid sin, right? So, so again, souls might barely make it into heaven, but it sure beats going to hell. Hmm. Yeah, there's a line in, um, are you familiar with the hillbilly Thomists? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't know them well, but I've heard, yeah, yes. Th there's a line in one of their songs about, there's a, the story of the man is that he kind of like reverts right before his death, on his deathbed, you know? And it says, not a life well lived, but a life well died. Hmm. You know, and I, I, that line really stuck with me, but it kind of reminds me of that, you know, you like, yeah. he's given us, like, he's giving us a chance, yeah. which is really what we can ask for. I think there's, cause there's obviously it's an error to say, well, yeah. how could a merciful God damn people, you know? And it's, and it's, it's a difficulty, but it's an error. The error is the insinuation of that. He couldn't, you know, um, right. because he is just. Yeah. But but what you just opened up for me is the merciful God gives every opportunity. Yes. And yes. you can guarantee yeah, that. God, God never condemns a soul to hell. When you stand before God for your final judgment, you see the entirety of your life's decisions and how God was trying to intervene at every single intersection.
and you see how you chose help. And the logical, reasonable expectation is that is the sum of my choices, mm. that I spurn God so much throughout my life, yeah. that it is not that God who is condemning me or abandoning me, it's that I have scorned, condemned, and abandoned God long before this moment. Hmm. It only makes sense you would come in mercy first. Right, no, like yeah. knowing our culture, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're bringing things out of me, Father Ken. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving it. We're gonna get you converted yet, man. <laughs> He's definitely a work in progress. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Father Ken, thank you. This is, I mean, this is amazing to to talk about. Where can people find uh, your books? First of all. Um, um, Amazon.com, just spiritual warfare and divine mercy or why be Catholic? The why be Catholic has a big question mark on the front of it with a rosary um, in the form of a, the rosary in the form of a question mark. Um, spiritual warfare and divine mercy is my second book. Uh, that's the one we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, you can get them on Amazon or you can get them directly from tan.com. Tan is the publisher. Okay. Um, so those are the two great places to get it. And then you can find the fathers of mercy on anything fathers of mercy. So okay. fathers of mercy. Mercy.com, YouTube slash Fathers of Mercy, Instagram slash Fathers of Mercy. Uh, we got great homilies. They're about 20 minutes a piece uh, on our YouTube channel. And then Instagram, we've got our reels rolling on Instagram. Awesome. Regularly going over the 55-minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> dude, dude, you have no idea. Sometimes we have, we have phenomenal homilies. And every now and then, we'll put two or three homilies in the one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Father, you know, oh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you that the Those people in the pews who want to be there actually want to hear it. So please keep doing it. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll link yeah, to the you. to the books in the show notes here too, so folks can can pick them up. Um, but we've been with Father Ken Geraci from the Fathers of, of Mercy. It's just so good to have you, and so good to talk with you. Thanks so yeah. much. Thanks so much. Appreciate you guys. God, God bless, bless you. you.